Let me start right here. Um, have you guys uh, ever, well, let me start like this. Do you remember back when you were in school, tests? I'm looking around, and I think I see some folks who are about the age of test takers, maybe some college students, maybe some high school students in here. But most of you guys have moved beyond that. And if you remember, um, maybe you remember something like this, um, the, the, the studying that you had to do to, to get ready. Maybe some of you, to, you remember being, uh, going through the all-night cramming, those all-night cram sessions, right? You remember those, some of you? Uh, do you remember number two pencils? You had to have those for the Scantrons, right? So otherwise, the computer wouldn't read your answers if you didn't have your number two pencils, right? Uh, or the anxiety that came along with getting ready for the test. I see some people nodding. Yeah? Uh, or the relief when you walked in on the day of the test and they're like, oh, we've postponed the test. You're like, ah, oh, that's the best, right? All right, yeah, yeah. Or, 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 or when the relief when the test was finally over. You're like, just get the paper out of here, right? Uh, or I, I remember this. You've studied, you've prepared, you take the test, all that pressure is built up, and then afterwards you're like, but then you have this stress headache, this anxiety headache that comes afterwards, and you're like, oh, it's they're the worst, right? So um, if you don't remember exactly those experiences when you were in school, I'm just going to kind of bring, create a scenario that maybe helps you get in touch with that, all right? I've, I've listed some things. Let's, let's go through a little bit of a story to, to help you get back there. Maybe let's look back at middle school or, or junior high school for some of you. And, and imagine yourself there, you're in, you're in math class, right? In math class in, in middle school, and uh, you've been working on a concept, a new concept in math for a couple of days. And the teacher begins to announce there's a test coming. It's coming, right? She announced the day of the test. She's given you some sample problems to work through. All right, so you've worked through those. You've corrected them. You've reworked through them. She even does a review the night before, or the day before the test. And then that night, you're studying a little extra hard. She's given you some extra problems to practice on. And finally, that day arrives. It's the morning of the test. You've studied. You've, done, you've got everything you need. You've got your pencils. You've got your erasers. You've got your scratch paper, because you know when you take a math test, you gotta, right, show your work, right? Yeah, you gotta show your work on those math problems. So you sit down, she hands you the test, and you look at it, and you're like, okay, I recognize a little bit of, of what I'm, I'm seeing here. And I'm, I'm, I, you go and take your test, and you, you go back and you check over the problems, and you're like, man, I think I nailed it, all right? So you turn it in, and the, the teacher takes the test, and begins to grade the test, okay? So, so hopefully this is getting you back in touch with that whole, man, 50 years ago, 20 years ago, or whatever it was, of being in school, going through that testing process. And I think we've all been there, all right? We've all experienced some testing as we went through that education process. But testing is also a part of life. The tests we go through in our life are kind of similar. Well, think about it. Um, you go through life and you experience tests, and sometimes those, it feels like life is testing you, or, or you feel like God is testing you. And if you think about it, it's, it's kind of similar. What happens when we're tested? Um, you, you, after you take the test, the teacher does what? She discovers when she grades the test what you've retained, what you've learned from what she's taught you. 
That's what the test brings out. She finds out what's in you when she tests you, what you've learned, whether you know or whether you don't know. At least that's what tests are supposed to do, right? They're supposed to do that. Now, let, let me talk to some of you in the audience here. Some of you, you experience that test anxiety, right? And that no matter how well you've studied or how much you've mastered the, the material, you just do poorly or you always fail the tests, right? And so in, in, in fact, some, mentioning tests or school for some of you, it brings back all this trauma, all right? And I understand that that can happen with, with tests and remembering all those days. So I want you to breathe, relax. I'm not going to test you, all right? This is not school, but the analogy gives us a little bit of perspective on what we're talking about today. It's not a perfect analogy, but it, it has some, some things that help us get to where we're, we are today in our, in our series and what we're talking about. So what we've got is we've been working on a series through the book of Exodus, right? And so in order to get to where we are today, let me just do a really quick recap of where we've come. Okay, so if you look at the Bible, right, the first part of the Bible, God is choosing from among all the people of the world, he's choosing one family. And that family is the family of Abraham, all right? So Abraham is, in, in his family, they, they have this series of just crazy events in their lives. Uh, generation after generation, some wild things happen. And finally, uh, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, and his family, they experience this regional famine and end up, they end up in Egypt. They move to Egypt because uh, there's food there and they, they settle in. And when they settle in, they begin to multiply like rabbits. There are so many Hebrews now after the, the, uh, the uh, generation of Jacob and Joseph and all the sons. And they start with 70 and then they blow up in several generations. And then the, the leader or the, the ruler of Egypt, he looks at what's going on and he gets threatened. Right? He sees all these Hebrews, and he's like, wow, what's going to happen if somebody invades? Will the Hebrews join with them and overcome us? And, and so he's intimidated by all the Hebrews that have shown up or that have, that have grown up in his land. And so what he does is he mis mistreats them. He uh, kills some of them. He enslaves them all. And the Hebrew people, the people of Abraham, the family of Abraham, needs a deliverer. And that deliverer is the man Moses. All right, so Moses and his brother Aaron, they help, they help deliver the Hebrew people from Egypt. And through a series of acts of judgment called plagues, God brings judgment on Egypt, and the people of the uh, family of Abraham, the Hebrews, they leave. And they're, they're making their way out of Egypt towards the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, also called Mount Horeb in the scriptures, and they're making their way so they can get there and they can worship God and eventually get into the promised land. On their way there, and this is what pa Pastor Ricky preached about last week, on their way there, they, they in, uh, end up at the front of the Red Sea. The Egyptian army is coming after them because they've had second thoughts. They want to bring them back and enslave them. God parts the waters. They pass through. The Hebrews pass through. The Egyptian army chases. The waters come in, and there is a great destruction of the army of Egypt. And then the Hebrews have been released. They've been freed. They are free to go on their way 
through their wanderings in the wilderness. And, and chapter 15 of Exodus is this song of Moses and song of Miriam. And they're just praising God and just thanking him for all he's done with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God has delivered them from the Egyptians. So that brings us to today. We're in chapter 15, 16, and 17 of the book of Exodus. And I'm going to give you a, a kind of a narrowed in. We've kind of done a 30,000-foot view of it. We're going to come down a little bit closer and look at those three chapters and talk about what's happening there. And I believe that we're going to find some things that are very relatable and uh, very practical for us today. Are you with me? Are we together? That's good. All right. Let's go. Let's go. Um, we're going to look at, at the stories in chapter 15, 16, and 17. And what happens is people in chapter 15, they're thirsty. In chapter 16, they're hungry. Chapter 17, they're thirsty again. So let me, let me flesh that out a little bit. Okay, so the people are moving out of, into the wilderness. They've been there about three days in chapter 15. Okay, and so they begin to get thirsty. But there's no water. When they come to some water, it's what they call bitter water. It's, it's not drinkable water. So what did they do? Pastor Ricky talked about it a little bit this, la this last week. They begin to grumble. They begin to complain to Moses. And so they cry, uh, Moses cries out to God, prays, cries out to God, and God says, hey, look, there's some wood right there. See that piece of wood? Take that, throw it in the water. Right? Throw it in the water. And it makes the water sweet. Sweet, right? And it's, it's, it, they can drink it. And so what God says at that point is he says, listen to me. Trust me, I will take care of you. I will not send judgment on you like I did on the people of Egypt. I will keep you well. I will deliver you to the promised land. So just listen to me, just trust me, I'm going to take care of you. So the people grumble, they get water, and God says, trust me, I'll take care of it. Chapter 16. Okay, so their people are farther a little, little bit farther along. At this point, they start to get hungry. And not only did they get hungry, but they begin to say to Moses... Oh, I wish we were back in Egypt because we had, get this, meat pots. Meat pots. I, I guess pots of meat. Uh, potted meat and bread. So I'm thinking sandwiches, bread and meat. All right. So they had that and they're complaining again, grumbling to God, to Moses about dying of hunger. Why did you bring us out here to die of hunger? Why did you bring us out here to die of hunger? And so God says in their complaining, God says, okay, I'll provide you meat and bread. Right, So the first thing he provides is the meat. In the evening, he provides quail. Right, I've had quail maybe once or twice. It's pretty good as meat goes. Right, Kind of tastes like chicken, really small. But the quail come in the evening, right? But then, then, then the morning comes, and God sets up this pretty cool pattern for the lives of the Hebrew children. Okay, he begins to set up this pattern of, I'm going to provide for you for six days manna. Okay, and so the Bible describes it this way, is that when the dew would fall, okay, and then dry up, there would be left on the ground in the wilderness, this substance, and when the people saw it, they're like, what, what, what is it? What is it? And that phrase, what is it, in Hebrew is manna. All right, so people were like, manna? And I guess they were like, manna. You know, so, so they, they collect this stuff every day, enough for just one day. Six days, enough for just one day. But then there was a little bit of a, a caveat, a little bit of an exception on that sixth day. But let me go through this. The, the first five days, they're collecting it, enough for the day. But you know how some of us are. You know, we want to collect enough 
for the next day so I don't have to go and collect it the second day. So some of them went out and collect the first day, and they're like, well, there's enough, so I'll collect more for the next day. But the stuff they had left over for if they collected it on Monday and they left it over for Tuesday, it got stinky and got worms in it. And locusts are like, gross. And so God's like, hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Just collect enough for one day. Enough for one. Trust me. Trust me. I got this, God says. But then he did make a caveat. And he, again, he's starting to create this rhythm in the lives of the Hebrews. He's saying, on one day, the seventh day, I want you to rest from work. Don't go out and collect food on the seventh day because it's not going to be there. Collect enough for two days on the sixth day. And I promise I won't make the worms make it stink or whatever. So you get that. And, and you have enough for two days, and, and you can trust me that I'm going to provide for you for that seventh day because that's the day you stay in, you rest, you honor me with just kind of chilling and hanging, right? Okay, so just do that and trust me. And uh, God reprimanded those who would go out because some of them were like, oh, well, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't collect enough. I forgot about it on the sixth day. Went out on the seventh day, and they were, they were out there looking around, and there was no manna. And God's like, what are you thinking? Listen to me. Do what I tell you. Just go and collect like I told you. Okay. And you know what? You can, you can actually go online and they have stuff called manna. So if you're interested in looking for manna, it's, I don't think it's the real stuff, but it's bags of manna online. But uh, they did that. They ate that stuff for 40 years. The Bible said they ate it for 40 years until they get into promised land. And I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes with eating leftovers from the night before. When it's like, But for 40 years, every day for 40 years... That's a lot. But God provided for them what they needed, when they needed it, and he was faithful. For 40 years, they ate that stuff. Story three, last one, coming back to being thirsty again. Farther along in the journey in the wilderness, the people get thirsty again, so they complain again, right? So my translation calls what they did grumbling. So they grumble to God, and God tells Moses to take his staff. Okay, now this is a special staff. Okay, this staff is the staff he used back in Egypt. When he threw it down, it became a snake, right? To say, show Pharaoh that, hey, I'm from God. I got this, man. Or to strike the Nile and it became blood. That was the same staff. He says, take that staff, that staff in your hand and just go strike that rock and the water will flow. And then your people, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, they will be able to have water to drink. So in summary, what we've got is we've got this picture of the Hebrew people in this story. And each time they faced hunger or thirst, they began to do what? They began to complain and to grumble. Each time, God provided what they needed. Right? So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, okay, Moses is actually looking back on this time. All right? He's in the, in the book of Deuteronomy, I don't know if you know this, but Deuteronomy is, is Moses giving a series of sermons as they're getting ready to go into the promised land, right? So in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he's reflecting back on what happened during the wilderness wanderings, especially, specifically, what happened with the water and the manna and all that. So I want to read those particular verses from Deuteronomy chapter 8, Verses 1 through 3. So that's where we're going to be right now. So if you want to look on your device or open up your book or look up on the, the, um, the stage up here on the screens, you can see that. So I'm going to read verse 1. It says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. 
that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Verse 3, he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so in Deuteronomy, Moses is recalling the miraculous provision of the bread and the water. And so as he recalls this experience, he emphasizes a very interesting aspect of that experience. He says in verse 2 of chapter 8, he said, The Lord tested his people. He also says that the Lord humbled them. So let's review. The, the Hebrews were at the end of themselves. They didn't have food. They didn't have water which can make one very vulnerable. I've been there in the way of being hungry, not probably that hungry, but being hungry, being thirsty, being a little irritable. Yes, some of you maybe have been there too. So they're very vulnerable. And what happens when we're vulnerable, when we're squeezed like that with hunger, thirst, or whatever pressure, it's kind of like a tube of toothpaste. When you squeeze a tube of toothpaste, what comes out? Well, toothpaste, okay? When we get squeezed in these situations in our lives, what comes out? What's in us comes out when we get squeezed in life. Testing for the Hebrews was like that. You look at what it says, that he might humble you, testing to know what was in your heart. To know what was in your heart. That's what he's doing for the Hebrews there. Whether they would keep his commandments or not. And when the Hebrews were tested, humbled, allowed to get hungry and thirsty, what was in them came out. I, I, I was doing a little study about this this week. And uh, I, I got online and just kind of looked up some little pithy sayings. I found this. It says, character is revealed when pressure is applied. How many of you guys know this? Character is revealed when pressure is applied. When pressure is applied in the lives of the Hebrews. The, the, the Hebrews didn't do, do very well under pressure, did they? They were pretty consistent at doing poorly under pressure. I, I, I could read that in, the, in those three successive stories, really. So in, they turned, what did they turn to? They turned to grumbling and complaining. And I can relate to that, turning to grumbling and complaining. But, you know, there's a very helpful verse in the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul wrote the book of Philippians to a uh, group of people uh, living in Philippi, and it was a, a poorer church. Uh, and uh, he, was, he was sharing with them how, how much joy they brought to him. And so Paul writes about this very topic in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And this is a great verse that I share with my students sometimes. When, uh, when I hear them talking amongst themselves or sharing some stuff with me. And Philippians two, chapter 2, verse 14. Great verse for memory. 
uh, and it's very short, doesn't take very long. It says, and I'm reading from the, um, the ESV, the English Standard Version, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. The New American Standard says it just a little bit different. Do everything without complaining and arguing. And then the King James, good old King James, uses do not uh, do all things without murmuring or disputing. Grumbling against God is what the Hebrew people did. They did. They grumbled. They, they complained. They murmured. Right? And uh, according to the Apostle Paul, and according to God and Moses' response to the Hebrew children, it wasn't exactly the preferred reaction from God. Okay? It, 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 was, it was wrong. It was wrong for them to do that. And God, this is the amazing thing, God still provided for them, even in their grumbling and their complaining. Even though they grumbled, God's test showed that they weren't fully trusting God. They grumbled and complained, what's going to happen? We want our meat pots, we want our bread. And God just, here you go. Here, here it is. Now, let's jump ahead just a little bit further in our Bibles. And let's go to Matthew chapter 4. You can turn there if you like. I'm going to kind of give you a nutshell version of it. But if you'd like, you can go there. And we're going to look at Jesus' experience in the wilderness. Interesting. The people of God, the Hebrews, came out of Egypt and went into the wilderness. Went through the waters, right? They went through the waters and went into the wilderness. Jesus was baptized by John in the Jordan. Went through the waters and went into the wilderness. Interesting how Matthew picked up on that stuff and shared that with us. Almost kind of like he was trying to make a connection with what God's people went through and what Jesus was going through. Interesting. So, so what he did is he said that... Uh, it, so what happens is John has baptized Jesus in, in the chapter before, and then God's voice comes from heaven. The Spirit descends like a dove and says, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. And then it says, The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And uh, so God's Spirit led Jesus into the, um, the desert to be tempted. And so he is tempted in, in three different ways. Okay? Uh, he's tempted by the devil at first because he was in, there in the wilderness. He was fasting. It says he was very hungry. And so he says, well, why don't you turn those stones in, into bread? And uh, Jesus has a really cool reaction. He doesn't grumble and complain. He doesn't grumble about how hungry he is. Uh, what he does is he brings up the fact that you're not supposed to live uh, by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, which is exactly what Moses had said as he was reflecting back on their experiences in the, the wilderness when he was talking to them before they were going to the promised land. Some really cool connections there as Jesus is pulling from that and he's resisting the temptation to use his power to really to take a shortcut. And that, that's kind of what this is about in, in the Satan approaching Jesus in the wilderness. Je, yeah, I, yeah, God's will for you is not to starve, but take this shortcut. Take this shortcut in order to get what you know you're probably supposed to get anyway. God wants you to have food. He doesn't want you to starve. And eventually after the 40-day fast, you'll have something to eat. But here's a great way to get something to eat, Satan says. He says, take that stone. You have the power. Turn it into bread and then you can eat and you'll be satisfied. Because God wants you to eat anyway, right? Right? Yeah, okay. But Jesus said, no, no, I'm not going to take that shortcut. 
I don't live by bread alone. I live by every word. And I know God is going to take care of me. And he even says that in the next temptation. He says, well, go up to the top of the temple, throw yourself down, the angels will pick you up. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew that it was God's will for him to make it all the way to the cross safely. He would get all the way there. And that, that, that he would be protected by God until he got there, until he got to the beating. Until he, of course, people criticized him and came at him, but, but he, he got there. And he wasn't going to take a shortcut to reveal God's power in this by throwing himself off of the temple. There was no need for that. He trusted God the path that, that he was supposed to take. The same is true for the last temptation that Jesus went through. Jesus uh, was tempted to get, gain the whole world. He said, he said, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. And, and granted, Satan has been called, that, that spiritual evil, he's been called the, the God of this world. He has, he has dominion in this world. And so he says, I'll give you all of this if you'll just bow down and worship me. And of course, Jesus' response is, is, get behind me, Satan. Get away from me. Get out of here. Get out of here. We'll worship the Lord our God. Serve him only. Jesus didn't need to take a shortcut to that. He knew if he trusted God, if he went that path, that he would eventually be exalted. He would be enthroned. He would be king of kings and lord of lords, sitting at the right hand of the Father. He knew that was his path. He didn't need to take a shortcut. He didn't need to respond with grumbling and complaining. Now, all of this tells us a couple things. <laughs> when we go through the test, when the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, go through the test, we are often humbled and we often fall. We are often humbled and we often fall. But when Jesus went through the temptation, went through the wilderness, went through all of those experiences, he overcame. When we can't, Jesus can. When we can't, Jesus can. Think about it. When we couldn't pass the test, Jesus passed with flying colors. When we couldn't live the life that we were meant to live, Jesus lived a perfect life. When we were bound by sin, Jesus overcame sin. When we couldn't escape death, Jesus died for us and rose again, conquering death. When we couldn't see any way to come to God, Jesus made a way. When we can't, Jesus can. So how do we lean into Jesus' ability? How do we lean into Jesus' ability when we struggle? How do we do that? I think the first thing we have to do is we have to admit. Admit our weakness. Admit that we can't. Admitting your inability to do it yourself. Admit that you can't overcome sin, death, brokenness in your own life. Come clean. Just come clean with Jesus. So first, admit that you can't. And then second, receive Jesus' provision. Receive it. Receive his provision. Jesus wants to provide for us today. He wants to provide for you. Trust him to provide for you. 
Trust him. He said he would provide salvation through his death, burial, and resurrection. Receive that. He said that he would provide for all that we need. Receive it. He said that he would never leave us, that he would never forsake us. Receive his companionship, his presence. He said he would give us his spirit to dwell in us and empower us. Receive that. Receive all that he provides. Trust him to provide for you. Maybe, maybe your prayer would sound something like this. I'm, I'm going to pray, and uh, if you feel led to pray words something like this, make, make it your own prayer. But I'm going to pray, and as you feel led in your own heart, pray something like this. And it would be a response to Christ about admitting your weakness and receiving what he has to provide for you. Maybe it would sound something like this. Jesus, I admit that I can't do this on my own. Most of the time, I fall very short of what I know I should do and what you expect me to do. I complain. I rely on my own resources. I act just like those Hebrews who grumbled in the wilderness. Forgive me for my failures. Jesus, I confess that you died for me and rose again to bring me salvation. I receive you into my life. I receive your provision today. Fill me with your spirit and help me to live according to what you want, not according to what I want. I trust you today. And amen. Awesome. Now, if you have any questions about anything that we've talked about today, or if you have a decision that maybe God has led you to make, uh, we want to know about that. And a, a great way for you to let us know about that is for you to connect with us online at fcbc.life slash connect. And there's, a, there's a, a form you can fill out. We'll get a notification. We'll follow up with you during the week and call you and have a conversation with you. We would love to talk to you about any decision that Christ has led you to make today. We, we want to do that. Or, or if you'd like to, there, I'll be here. There are other pastors around. Our, our guest services folks are around. They would be willing to talk with you as well. If you need to talk with someone right now, we'd be glad to, to get you started on whatever next step that God has for you today. Any of those steps that God would like for you to take, we want to help you do that. Have a blessed day. Thanks for coming.